You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, we're going to be talking with Gary McIntosh. He's the author of The Solo Pastor. Gary, thanks for being on the show. Oh, Zachary, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about, a little bit about yourself and, and share your experience as a pastor uh, and maybe specifically your experience as a solo pastor? Absolutely. Yes. I, uh, oh my goodness. I guess I've gone through kind of the, what we often think of as a traditional route. I, uh, was a youth pastor for about three years, uh, part-time. And then I was a Christian education director in a church for four years, uh, part-time. And, uh, then I pastored, uh, two churches as a solo pastor for about nine years. Uh, between the two of them. And uh, after that, I actually worked as a uh, church consultant for three years full-time for the original uh, church company that did church consulting. It was called the Institute for American Church Growth, uh, located in Pasadena, California. I did that for three years. And uh, for the last 37 years, I've been at uh, Talbot School of Theology as a professor of Christian ministry and leadership uh, in uh, at Talbot School of Theology in Southern California, part of Biola University. Wow, 37 years. That's awesome. Long time. Yeah, 35 years full-time and the last uh, two years um, as a part-time professor. Uh, okay. Just, te- just teaching courses in the doctoral program now. Interesting. That's cool. Um. Can you tell us a little bit about your heart behind writing The Solo Pastor? When I uh, went to uh, Bible college and seminary, I uh, had a real fine education, but uh, I had always been in the kind of medium-sized churches, I guess you would say, churches of two, three, four hundred in size, and mm-hmm. the church has always had a small staff, and uh you know, uh, good programming, uh, good systems to recruit people and uh, to uh, help people get involved in ministry. And when I got out of uh, seminary and uh, took my very first church where I was the preaching pastor, um, mm-hmm. I was the only pastor. It was a smaller church, uh, which is typical when you get out of seminary. Usually you're in a smaller uh, setting. And I was the only uh, pastor. Um, I had some deacons to help me, but uh, really everything just kind of fell on my shoulders, so to speak. Uh, and it was quite a shock, to tell you the truth. I was not mm. prepared. Uh, no one in my Bible college days or seminary days had ever told me about uh, power blocks of people in a church who control the church. Uh, nobody you know, warned me about the, uh, the loneliness that I would experience not having other uh, 
pastors to talk to and uh, just a whole host of different things. Uh, I eventually moved to another church. It was also um, uh, a solo pastor setting. Uh, we did have some growth there, and I eventually was able to add a small staff uh, to the church and to, to assist me. Uh, that church had elders instead of deacons, but I ran into the same sort of uh, uh, issues there. Uh, mm. So basically, you know, some of this started in my own heart uh, as I wrestled with things that I wish that maybe the uh, seminary had, had told me about and warned me about before I got into the uh, solo mm -hmm. situation. Uh, but then over the years, as I've done uh, uh, training of pastors for uh, churches and as I've done speaking and consulting, I've just run into over and over again pastors who struggle uh, leading the church by themselves. And so, you know, my heart has always been to help the pastor be more uh, fruitful, more effective in ministry. And so eventually this book just kind of came together. And it's just a lot of uh, years of thinking and trying to put some things on paper that might be helpful to the solo pastor. Hmm. Why do you think that that you talked about the preparedness, not having preparedness coming out of seminary, that this has to be something that occurs pretty regularly, right? And so why why do you think that that's something that's not talked about in seminary? Is it is it solo pastors don't want to be vulnerable and communicate that they are struggling with loneliness or don't have things all together, or is there something else going on? In general. Uh, schools of theology, seminaries, Bible colleges, they uh, tend to focus more on subjects like uh, the Bible, uh, theology, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Christian history. Uh, these are all topics that are helpful and uh, needed. There's no doubt about that. Uh, right. But most, uh, most schools tend to think that some of the practical uh, boots on the ground kind of issues that pastors face, that they'll just figure that out once they get out in the ministry. <laughs> uh, Trial by fire. That's right. Yeah. So um, some schools do a little bit better job of uh, training pastors for the practical, uh, you know, aspects of uh, ministry. Uh, but uh, some seminaries lean so heavy on the academics, uh, that again, they just kind of feel like, well, you know, other pastors have figured it out. You'll figure it out. Um, and so they, they just don't spend enough time, uh, talking mm. about leadership management issues, growth issues. You know, how do you turn a church around that's declining? How do you, you work with, uh, uh, people who are severely ingrown, and uh, are not reaching out to unchurched people out in the community. Um, so, you know, I think it's just a part of academia. Uh, mm. You get into the academy, as we say, and the focus tends to be more on academics and less on the practical aspects of ministry. Um, in my years of teaching, I've always tried, uh, I've always taught the practical courses uh, so I've taught courses like evangelism, church planting, church growth, uh, leadership and management. 
And mm -hmm. I've always tried to be as forthright and straight with the students as I could be um, and say, this is what you're going to face in a lot of these churches uh, when you get out there. But I, I think at a lot of schools, uh, they don't really do that too much. And so what happens is you get students who graduate, they know the Bible well, they know their theology, they know their Greek and Hebrew, you know, uh, but they get out there and all of a sudden they find out that the church is controlled by this one powerful gentleman uh, who cannot be moved and they don't know what to do. Uh, you know, or they get out there and the church has been declining for 20 years. And uh, how do you stop that decline? How do you turn that decline around and get the church growing and healthy again and reaching out to the community? Mm -hmm. uh, for quite frankly, a lot of schools just don't address those issues. Mm. Well, maybe it would be helpful as we as we um, really kick this conversation off. How do you define a solo pastor? A solo pastor is a, a person who's leading a church uh, without any other uh, professional help. Uh, by that, what I mean is they may have volunteers, they may have deacons, they may have elders, uh, but they are the only person on the team who has had the background training to be a pastor and probably is the only paid person uh, on the staff. Uh, okay. So it doesn't mean that they don't have other help. They do have other help, uh, again, with deacons, elders, volunteers, uh, different churches call their volunteers and their leaders different names. Uh, but those people don't quite uh, carry the same responsibility um, uh, that the person who's being paid does. And so they're mm -hmm. the only person uh, that is uh, being paid and, and held responsible basically for the uh, ministry of the church. Mm. So you mentioned that you've got, you had two bouts of experience as a solo pastor. Yes. What, what were some of the challenges and struggles that you experienced over the years that other solo pastors might be able to relate to? There, there's lots of them. Uh, in, the, in the first chapter of my book, I think I list about uh, 17 different uh, challenges or something that pastors have told me, but just to name a few, um, sometimes you get into a church and you find out that the uh, people have um, unrealistic expectations of what you're to do. Uh, for mm. instance, one of the one of the stories I tell in the book is um, about a pastor who had been in a church. I think he had been there three or four weeks, something like that. And uh, the grass was growing long on the church lawn. And uh, one of the deacons or trustees of the church was talking to him and looked at him and said, well, pastor, when are you going to mold the lawn? <laughs> and oh, my so goodness. The, the expectation of this church was that it was the pastor's job to uh, mow the lawn around the church. Um, I think that's uh, one of, that's just an illustration. A lot of times you get into a solo pastor church and they have these expectations of a pastor that are probably not what uh, the pastor, the new pastor is expecting to find. Um, 
I think another one is just bearing the weight of the responsibility of the entire ministry on their shoulders. Um, it's pastoring as a solo pastor is similar to a person owning their own small business, uh, mm. a mom and pop type business. Uh, when a person owns their own business, they go home at night. Uh, they carry all the burden of that store with them. Uh, the worries about the finances, the worries about uh, the upkeep, the inventory, everything. Uh, and it's similar in a church. Uh, when a solo pastor goes home, uh, they're still on duty. They're still on call. Uh, you know, they might get a call at two o'clock in the morning. Someone passed away. They've got to get up and they've got to go. Um, other elders, deacons oftentimes don't have to do that. Other lay volunteers in the church don't have to do that. Um, uh, there might be a board meeting and uh, maybe they talk about the uh, declining finances, declining attendance, and uh, the people go home and they kind of are able to just let that go. But a pastor goes home and continues to think about it, continues to, uh, right. you know, have it in their heart and mind and soul, so to speak. Uh, um, and so uh, that's another one uh, uh, related to that. Uh, you know, the pastor uh, oftentimes doesn't have anybody who they can talk to. Uh, you know, sometimes a pastor will talk to their spouse, but there's almost, almost, I mean, there's just so much you can talk to your spouse about and your, your spouse can't handle anymore. Uh, you can talk to other people in the church and, uh, you know, perhaps they provide a listening ear, but you don't have another person who has experienced the same weight of care and concern uh, for the church. Uh, that, and on a multiple staff church, you have other pastors you can talk to and they mm -hmm. all get it. They all understand because they, they carry some of the same burdens. Uh, a lot of times in a solo pastor church, you just don't have uh, anyone else to uh, call upon. Um, oh, my goodness. There's just a host of them. You know, uh, one more. Um, uh, I remember, you know, for me, I remember uh, my first church was near a freeway. And we had a constant flow of people coming to the church. Uh, people who were uh, homeless, people who had a flat tire on the freeway, whatever, they would come to the church, you know, to seek help. Well, uh, I was the only one there. I was a solo pastor. I didn't even have a mm. secretary in those days. Uh, so there was these constant knocks on the door of the church, on my office door. I'd go to the door. There's people there who need help. It's a, it was a smaller church. There was almost, there's just so much help we could give. Uh, mm -hmm. I couldn't always drop everything and help everybody who needed help. <laughs> and, uh, but it felt right. like all, all of that burden of, uh, of pastoral, I guess you'd say it's social care uh, for people who would just drop by the church and want help. Um, I was mm -hmm. the only person they ever talked to. In a larger church, mm. they might encounter a secretary who might be able to point them in a different direction. They, there might be another staff member who takes care of that ministry and protects the, 
lead pastor, you know, but in a solo pastor church, you really have no protection. You're doing it all. So those are a few, and uh, your listeners can, you know, get the book there. Uh, like I said, I think there's about 17 different uh, things that uh, solo pastors have told me over the years that really are difficult to handle. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you feel, or in your research, have you found that that solo pastors face the same issues today? They, they do face similar issues today. Uh, some of it is more difficult today because of the, the internet. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the difficulties solo pastors face is that they are comparing themselves. Uh, to the pastors of larger church ministries. Right. Uh, when I was pastoring, we we also had, you know, churches uh, in the community that were mega churches. And, uh, but in those days, people weren't able to watch those other pastors or those other ministries on TV as much or online as much. So today what happens is you got all of the people in the church uh, they're online, they're listening to uh, broadcasts, podcasts, uh, they're watching other churches online uh, or on TV. And so there's a lot more uh, comparison uh, of pastors and ministry programs and worship services. Uh, there's also, uh, even if people are gracious in your church and, and aren't really comparing you, uh, watching other ministries raises their expectations. And so they have a higher set of expectations uh, than they did say 40 years ago. Um, mm. And so pastors today, solo pastors in particular, have to face the fact that their people are coming to church having just watched a ministry that might've had 10,000 people in it, right? you know, with all the professional music and worship and all that. And, uh, a pastor who's got lots of free time to develop a wonderful message each Sunday, and uh, they come to to your church, and and you can't deliver that, uh, and it's a lot of pressure on pastors. So I I think that's what's changed a lot. Technology has mm -hmm. changed a lot, increased the pressures a lot, um, and of course the recent COVID experience I think has. Uh, added to that too, because a lot of people were watching other churches online and now they come back to church and they have increased levels of expectation. And uh, mm. maybe the church is able to deliver all those expectations. Maybe they're not, but the the expectations, the pressures fall to the solo pastor. Hmm. Now in, in, the, in the introduction of the, the book, you say that on average 60 to 70 seven percent of churches in the united states uh are pastored by a single person why do you think that that is so high of a percentage exactly is actually sometimes uh i've run into some uh church family groups denominations uh that are 95 percent uh solo pastors uh wow uh, but you put it all in a mix, it is. It's about two-thirds to maybe three-fourths. Um, what I discovered in my research is no one keeps records 
uh, of how many churches are pastored by a single pastor versus say two or three or five or 10 or whatever. Uh, so those are all educated guesstimates uh, that I got from people in different denominations as to what was actually happening. But somewhere around two, uh, two thirds to three fourths of solo pastors. Now, why is that? Well, the small church uh, is the typical church uh, in the United States and the world for that matter. Uh, we hear a lot about mega churches. They get all the press. Uh, but the reality is that mega churches, and and by the way, mega churches I define as two thousand people in a in their main worship service or services on a weekend. Uh, so, really, mega churches only make up about one to maybe one and a half percent of all right. churches. Uh, but they get a lot of the press and it's their pastors who are writing the books and doing the conferences. And so the impression is that uh, most churches out there are large, but they're not um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of churches are smaller than 200 people on a Sunday morning. And the reality is that that size of congregation can only afford uh, one pastor. Uh, if if a church hopes to provide a living wage for a pastor, which would include not only their cash salary, but the benefits, uh, medical insurance, retirement, uh, maybe some sort of educational leave uh, uh, provision, uh, other things like that. Uh, it takes in the USA today a church of about 150 people, and that includes children, 150 people to provide for a, a single full-time pastor. Uh, now, there's variables in that. It depends on where the church is located. But uh, churches in New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, I mean, it's expensive to live there. Uh, it's different than, say, if you were in some parts of, say, um, Alabama or Tennessee or Wyoming, it might be a little less costly. Uh, but in general, uh, you're going to need around 150 to 200 people to, to provide a pastor a full-time uh, living salary with benefits. And with 80% of churches being under 200, uh, that means that most churches just can't afford it. Uh, it's very difficult. And so uh, most churches are going to be able to afford one pastor, one paid pastor, and that's all. That That's, yeah. a, that's a major issue right there. Well, I've, I've even heard numbers as low as the average church in America is 70 to 80 people, which would leave, if that is the average, then that would leave most churches unable to afford a full-time pastor, even That's one, right. right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, prior to COVID, about four years ago or so, uh, the average church in the USA was considered to be somewhere around 100, maybe 110 people. Uh, but uh, after the uh, pandemic experience, a lot of churches have seen fewer people return to church. Mm -hmm. And the estimate right now that I'm hearing is similar to you, around 70 to 80 people on average. 
Uh, of course, an average means there's a lot of churches smaller and a lot of churches bigger than that right, to bring, right. bring it to the average. Uh, but you're right. Uh, you get a church of 70 people, assuming that some of those are children or youth, uh, you, you're really in a difficult situation to provide a full-time living wage uh, for a pastor. I think what we're going to see is an increase in bivocational pastors. I think uh, uh, churches are only going to be able to, to pay pastors a partial uh, wage, mm. which means that the pastor is going to have to work another job uh, and pastor to church on the side. And we typically refer to that as bivocational. Uh, that's okay in a, in a sense but uh, rarely does a bivocational pastor have the ability to see a church turn around and grow uh, numerically by reaching out to new people. Uh, usually a bivocational pastor is just able to hold a church plateaued, hold it steady, um, mm -hmm. uh, because there's just not the energy and the time uh, for a bivocational pastor to give to the ministry to see it actually grow. Um, now, it is possible for bivocational pastors who plant churches to see a church grow, and, and that's because there's a different set of momentum um, that's going on in a church plant. Uh, a church plant is fresh, new, exciting, uh, like having a new baby. Everybody's excited about this new new baby church. And a bivocational pastor can oftentimes see a brand new church grow uh, numerically. But in an older church that perhaps has been plateaued for 10 or 20 years or declining for 10 or 20 years, uh, it takes a lot more energy uh, to turn a church around. And a bivocational pastor usually doesn't have that. So uh, mm. if it is true that we're seeing more and more solo pastors who are bivocational, I, I think it's just going to be more difficult for them to see their church ever uh, grow numerically enough to be able to afford to pay them mm. a full-time wage, pay them a full-time right. wage. Yeah. Right. So Gary, many, many solo pastors suffer from loneliness, isolation, self-doubt. Um, we've talked about that a little bit already. Do you have any words of encouragement for these pastors? I do. I would say start, first of all, with uh, understanding the biblical concept that uh, Jesus is the head of the church, not you. Uh, mm -hmm. He said, I will build the church, uh, not, not uh, you will build the church. Uh, so we start with that, and uh, we have faith in that, and we rest in that, uh, that he has uh, brought us to this church at this particular time, with our gifts and our abilities and uh, what we can provide for this church is what uh, Christ wants for the church at this time. Uh, mm. Now it's, it's difficult sometimes to take our eyes off the pastor down the street who may have a larger ministry than us. But um, I think it's um, a bit of what a pastor years ago called the faith rest life. Uh, we had mm. faith, that Christ is the head of our church and, and building our church. And he's called us here and we're going to rest in that and trust in the fact that our gifts, our abilities, our talents 
uh, or what this church needs at this particular time. And we'll mm. probably have to remind ourselves of that many times. Along with that, I think that we seek to build some friendships outside the church with some other pastors who are probably in similar situations than we are, or maybe in a situation that might be just a little bit ahead of us, um, so that we have some people we can meet with and we can talk with who understand the dynamics of what we're really dealing with. Uh, a lot of times pastors don't uh, uh, connect uh, other than at maybe pastors meetings or something like that. But I, I think we really need to put together maybe a, a, a small group of three to five pastors. Uh, they can be from different denominational families, but we get together and we uh, serve together and, and talk together about what's going on and support uh, each other. If, if there's not a group like that in your community, then I would say to a pastor, start one. You take the lead. You call some other pastors up and say, hey, let's get together for uh, breakfast or let's get together for coffee or, you know, whatever they'd like to do um, and, and see if there's any uh, interest in getting together once a month or something, just to talk. I, it can really help uh, to yeah. have that. Um, another thing that a lot of pastors are finding helpful in this whole thing is to get a coach. Now, oftentimes you have to pay someone to be your coach, but, um, if you can have an outside coach who can meet with you and, uh, ask you questions and, uh, kind of help you process through the issues that you're facing, uh, that can be a real benefit. Uh, to mm. uh, a pastor. Um, I think, too, that uh, we focus on leading ourselves, you know, lead ourselves. Uh, uh, that's the most difficult person actually to lead. And, and what mm. I mean by that is we need to um, take a look at ourselves. We need to uh, seek to improve ourselves through reading, maybe attending some conferences, uh, you know, getting some further training. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of pastors, when they finish Bible college or university or seminary, uh, they quit reading, they quit learning. Uh, ministry changes rapidly in our day and age. Um, if a person's been out of school five years, I would say you're already somewhat out of date. And, you know, you need to go back and uh, maybe get some uh, further training or at least start reading. Uh, more than probably you have been uh, in some of the, the new literature about ministry uh, that's out mm. there, just to improve yourself. Uh, I mean, that goes a long way uh, to, to, to helping and to not only encourage you, but to give you fresh ideas and insights uh, about what to, uh, to do. Um, mm. So, you know, uh, one last thing I would say to a solo pastor, uh, look in your church and who is giving you three or more hours a week as a volunteer. Uh, those people are staff. Um, in a lot of solo pastor situations, we think, oh, if I only had a staff. Well, you do have a staff. And that's those people who are volunteering three or more hours a week in your church. And I'm sure there's a few people who are uh, doing that. 
Um, I would identify who those people are. I would start meeting with them weekly or at least monthly and uh, work with them as staff. You know, give them jobs to do, delegate things for them to do, start start uh, having a monthly training session and, uh, you know, pray together, work together, dream together about how the church might be different in the future and, uh, uh, and then use them, you know, in terms mm. of uh, the ministry as your staff and think of them that way. Think of them as this is my pastoral staff and, uh, and how can I begin to do ministry alongside them? Many of them yeah. will be elders or deacons or people like that. Okay. Uh, let them be part of the ministry as much as possible. And, uh, and that will go a long way to sharing the load, sharing the burden uh, so that you don't have to carry it all by yourself. Hmm. Do you think that like the, the struggles of loneliness and isolation and self-doubt, the things that we've discussed already are, are some of the reasons why we see so much ministry burnout and, and why that rate is so high for pastors? I'm sure it is part of it. Uh, you know, when a pastor tries to do it all by themselves, uh, they mm -hmm. are going to burn out because uh, you, you just can't do it all by yourself. And it, it's not just the physical hours, but it's just the emotional toil, the uh, spiritual toil uh, on a person's life. Uh, this is where the pastor needs to lead themselves. And mm. part of leading yourself means make sure that you use a calendar, uh, that you put on that calendar a space for your family, for your own rest. Uh, for instance, um, I've told many pastors, okay, if you've got a, um, a daughter that you want to take out on Thursday afternoon at 3.30, so you just have some... Uh, uh, you know, time with your daughter, uh, put that on your calendar, put it down as an appointment, 3.30 on Thursday. And if mm. somebody comes up to you in the hallway of the church or they call uh, and they say, oh, pastor, I really need to get together with you Thursday afternoon, then you say, just a minute, and you look at your appointment calendar and you say, you know, I'd love to get together with you, but I can't do it. I already have an appointment. Now that appointment's right. with your daughter, but you don't have to tell them it's with your daughter. You don't tell people what your appointments are necessarily. But the truth is, if you don't put it on your calendar as an appointment, your daughter will never uh, have time with you because mm -hmm. the church ministry will encroach upon your time. Mm. And so we start with a calendar. We put time on that calendar for our spouse, for our children, for ourselves to read. Some pastors say to me, I don't have time to read. Uh, well, sure you do. Put it on your calendar, just like you would mm -hmm. anything. So, uh, you know, Tuesday afternoon from four to five, I got an hour for reading. Put that on your calendar and then honor that just like you would any calendar appointment. That's when you're going to read that new book you've been wanting to read that will refresh you and give you new ideas for the ministry of the, that you're in. Uh, but if we don't lead ourselves and, and basically what we're doing is we're setting boundaries that we will 
uh, you know, this is the time period we're going to focus on something, whether it's our sermon or whether it's getting together with our spouse or whether it's uh, personal development, like reading. Uh, we have to lead ourselves. If we don't lead ourselves, other people, here's the problem. If we don't lead ourselves, other people will lead us. Otherwise, yeah. people in the church with all their demands and their expectations will encroach upon our time. And mm. if we don't take control of that time. And so we have to lead ourselves first, set some boundaries, that will help us not get burned out because part of that boundary is we need to take a day off. Uh, we need to create space to rest and to think. Um, mm. One of the things I did in my, my second <clears throat> church that I was a, a solo pastor in, um, every Tuesday morning from like nine to noon, I created a space where I went to the public library in town and sat in the back of the stacks or at a table and would work on whatever I needed to work on. Sometimes it was my sermon. Sometimes it was budget issues. Sometimes it was something else. But I found if I tried to do that at church, I'd never get it done because people kept knocking on my door. Right. So I set space in my calendar. Every Tuesday morning, I'd go over to the public library. Now, in those days, we didn't have cell phones, so my wife knew where I was, and uh, we had a part-time church secretary, and she knew where I was. So if there was an emergency, somebody knew they could come and get me, uh, but they were the only two mm. people who knew where I was, and that created space <laughs> for me, so I wasn't constantly under the demands of the, the people in the church, and doing things like that. Uh, for your day off, for just some uh, time to get space to think, uh, things like that will help a pastor not burn out because uh, it, it gives you space to rest, uh, not just physically, but right. emotionally, spiritually. You just can't be under the, the gun spiritually, emotionally, physically all the time. Uh, Maybe you last three or four years, but uh, I'll tell you, most pastors in small churches, they leave every three or four or five years and they change churches. Mm. Uh, and part of the reason they do that is because that's the only way to get rest. You know, you, right. you get a break between churches. Uh, yeah. And, but if, if they could get that rest in the same church, uh, you know, one of the things we knew, know from church growth studies is, but a pastor has to stay in a church six or seven years for a church to really begin to move forward. But if mm. a pastor leaves in the fourth or fifth year, they never get to that key marker of six to seven years. Um, so they've got to manage their time, manage their, their rest, manage their spiritual strength. Uh, and that means lead yourself. Mm. Yeah. There's this, propensity for for us to i think specifically or especially in the west to run and do and go 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 um yes. and yes. not walk in that that structure and that rhythm of life that was outlined for us in genesis right to make space and time to to rest make space and time to be just be with our father and spend time with our lord and and be loved by him and not 
and have to be running and doing something for him, right? I think that that's our our bent or our. In that regard, Sunday's not a rest day for the pastor. Uh, right. Sunday, Sunday's a work day for the solo pastor uh, because mm. not only do they preach, uh, but oftentimes they have uh, additional meetings uh, with people. Uh, you know, people who work Monday through Friday, they are off Saturday, Sunday. So a lot of times if you're going to have a meeting with a budget committee or something like that, you, you're going to do it on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, if you take Saturday off, then that means maybe Sunday afternoon you have to go back to church for some sort of meeting or something. So mm -hmm. uh, pastors need that Sabbath rest day, though, as you intimated. Sometimes that yeah. has to be another day of the week, you know. Uh, again, uh, just to give an illustration, um, what I would do is about once a month, maybe every other month, um, I would actually take a morning and drive up into the mountains that were near where my church was. I would take a sack lunch, I something to drink, take my Bible along. I'd go up in the mountains and sit at a picnic table up in the mountains and, and just sit up there and read the Bible and think and pray. And I didn't realize it in those days was that was kind of my Sabbath um, mm. because Sunday wasn't. <laughs> you know yeah uh, and and so when i would go up in the mountains that was my sabbath now when i look back on it i would only do it like once a month i should have probably done that every week uh, <laughs> but, uh as a solo pastor i i didn't manage my time well enough to do it every week but i i probably should have but something yeah. like that to be done uh, as a solo pastor you have to get your sabbath other than sunday usually Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, Gary, this has been a fun conversation so far, but we need to take a break for our sponsor. Um, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Gary McIntosh and uh, talking about his new book, The Solo Pastor. Are you looking to grow your ministry but don't have the money or marketing knowledge to make that happen? There's good news. Google offers an advertising grant to churches and ministries that is worth $10,000 per month. This means that if your ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit, you are eligible to receive $120,000 per year in free advertising dollars. This allows you to place ads at the top of Google search results pages and drive thousands of visitors to your ministry website every month. Our sponsor, Click Nonprofit, helps your ministry acquire this Google ad grant and then manages your Google ads to ensure you get the most out of the grant. Schedule a free consultation at clicknonprofit.com to learn more about how this grant can help your specific ministry. Mention the Ministry Growth Show when you sign up to get 20% off your first three months of management. All right, welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. We've been talking with Gary McIntosh about his new book, The Solo Pastor. Um, Gary, we, we've been touching on the topic of, of ministry burnout, and um, I want to know if you have done any research into this to see if ministry burnout is unique to the Western church, or have you found that this is a global church issue with pastors? I haven't really done a lot of research on this in the global uh, sphere. 
Uh, I've had some students who uh, did doctoral dissertations on uh, burnout, and uh, it depends on what part of the the world you go to. But uh, yes, uh, burnout is particularly for a solo pastor is quite common. Uh, mm. In fact, in some parts of the world, it it could be even worse. Um, you know, in in some countries of the world, the expectation is that a pastor demonstrate a sacrificial life by uh, constantly being uh, on call to the demands of the people in the church. And uh, honestly, sometimes they pay the pastor very low salaries in some countries. Um uh, because they they perceive the pastor uh, as a model of sacrifice. And so the pastor mm -hmm. has to sacrifice their family, their time, their money uh, as, a, as a model uh, for other people in the church. And uh, in those, uh, this is this is true quite honestly in a lot of Asian countries. And uh, the pastors humbly do it. Uh, but they're working stressed, tired, burned out all the time. And it's not healthy uh, for the church at all. Uh, it does happen in the West, of course, because the West is a do-do, go-go, get-it-done kind mm -hmm. of uh, culture. Uh, and it depends a lot on the personality of the pastor and the skill that they've learned to kind of manage their own life. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder if, if I've always wondered that if it's a, this is a Western issue because of that cultural bent that we have to do, do, do and go, go, go. Or if this is something that is a struggle across the church as a whole, as a global body of, of believers. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to talk to some missionaries and, and get their take on it. Uh, but um, mm hmm Certainly, uh, well, especially we're in in locations where where the church looks a lot different than our church do, our our Western church models look. Like in in places, I'm thinking about places like Iran or Afghanistan, where much of the church in China, where much of the church is underground house church type mm -hmm. um, structure, and and if that 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 kind of thing happens in those kind of contexts. Right. I'm not sure. I, I don't have enough information to, to let you know. Um, I would say in the countries that have in, been influenced a lot by Western culture, yes, it's a, it's a problem. Right. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Now, how much of what we've talked about today comes down to a lack of understanding or a lack of significance placed on the doctrine of the priesthood, priesthood of all believers? Do you think that this idea that um, that the pulpit is solely responsible for the proclamation of the gospel. Do you think that that has permeated the, or at least the Western church and the effects of that w placed on ministers? I think most of the pastors that I have uh, served with over the years, uh, they passionately believe uh, the doctrine of the priesthood of the believers. Uh, right. The, the, the problem comes, uh, how do you make that a practical 
or how do you mm. actually get that applied on the ground in the day-to-day -day church ministry? And that's where most pastors struggle. They, they believe in spiritual gifts. They believe that ministry ought to be shared. Uh, they believe in multiple elders, let's say, uh, who carry mm -hmm. the load of the church. Uh, they, they believe generally in the, you know, the priesthood of all believers. But when it comes to actually putting it into practice, uh, that's where it's difficult to do. Now, I, I think uh, there's a number of reasons why that's true. Um, I think um, part of it is uh, pastors are uh, fearful of letting go, uh, particularly solo pastors are fearful of letting mm. go of ministry, in part because they don't think the ministry will be done as well. Uh, but in some cases, because uh, maybe they're fearful the ministry might be done better than they are, and they would be maybe uh, shamed a little bit because someone else could do ministry better than them. Um, so that that comes down to an issue of pride. Uh, you know, will I let go? Can I let go? Uh, do I know mm. how to let go? Have I been encouraged to let go? Uh, again, going back to uh, training, uh, most pastors have not been trained on how to delegate ministry, um, how to raise up other leaders uh, in the church. I know I never was. Uh, you know, so uh, the priesthood of believers is a is a good doctrine that gets taught theologically, academically, uh, but. Um, in most training institutions, uh, very little help on how to actually do that uh, in the day-to-day -day life of the, of the local church. Um, so some of it comes from the pastor side. I think some of it comes from the, uh, if I can use this term, if they, it comes from the layperson side. Uh, many people have been in churches all their lives where the pastor did it all. And so mm -hmm. they kind of bring that expectation uh, to the church. Well, the previous pastor did that. You know, going back to my earlier story about the uh, the person who wanted the pastor to mow the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> the reason they wanted the pastor to mow the lawn is because the previous pastors had all moved, mowed the lawn. So, uh, you know, they were bringing expectations to the pastor that the pastor didn't have. Uh, but it was because of what they had seen other pastors do in the past. So when we're dealing with people who have been in the church for many years, they, they bring their past experiences and expectations to bear on the current pastor. And uh, they may bring expectations that aren't biblical. And so they're going to have to be taught. Uh, they're going to have to be retrained uh, to mm -hmm. change their expectations. And that's always a challenge uh, in the church uh, to do that, mm. to retrain people. Uh, it can be done, but it just takes time uh, to do that. It doesn't usually happen quickly. Um, uh, it's just so interesting to, to know that the, the significance and importance is placed in seminary on the priesthood of, the, of all believers. But the application and the training for how the, how that actually plays out is not taught. It seems like that would place a 
a, a heavy weight on a pastor to know, okay, this is important. This is something that I need to do, to do but then how to tangibly act on that and execute on that, it becomes now a significant weight that's on their shoulders that they've not been trained or equipped to do. That's correct. And uh, that, that weight of having uh, the pastor's internal expectation that I should be giving ministry away and helping other people get involved with their gifts and things, but I can't do it. Mm. <laughs> becomes a, um, a stressful situation internally in the pastor's life. Where pastors really get the training is through uh, seminars and conferences that they go to. And mm. in, the, in the last, oh, I'd say maybe 40 years or so, the, the growth of the doctor and ministry program uh, for pastors has been a major help in this uh, because the doctor and ministry program uh, typically is more uh, application oriented uh, than just just theological. So uh, there is uh, what you might call um, uh, academic theology that focuses more on the actual doctrines that we believe. And then there's applied, mm-hmm theology, which takes that theology and applies it. Uh, a, a basic uh, seminary education usually focuses on the um, academic side of theology uh, with a little bit of applied. It depends on the school. Uh, but if a person comes back, a pastor to do a doctor of ministry, a uh, doctor of ministry is usually heavily applied theology. Um, and so I think this is uh, the doctor of ministry program has been a very popular, uh, uh, offering in many schools. And I think that's why, because what will happen is pastors get a master's degree. They go out in the ministry for five, 10, 15, 20 years, and they realize they're in trouble, uh, mm. because they know the doctrine, for instance, of, uh, priesthood of believers, but. Uh, they don't know how to steer their people uh, into ministry. Uh, and so they go back later on to uh, take a doctor of ministry program that might focus on uh, lay ministry or something of that nature. Um, and they then learn more of the practice of how to apply that doctrine uh, in the local church. And of course, mm-hmm. the other place they get it is by going to conferences, uh, uh, one of the good things of the conferences that some of the larger churches offer is that they off, they actually show you how to do it uh, because right. they've figured it out. You know, they figured out how to recruit people and train people and put them in the ministry. Uh, the solo pastor has to, I think, go to these conferences, but not to be overwhelmed by the conference. I mean, the the way a large church does ministry is quite different than a a smaller church. Um, But what we can do is we can go there to learn. How do they put people in the ministry and learn from that, then go back to our church and uh, adapt it to our church uh, and and learn? I think that's, uh, you know, one of the benefits of these conferences is that they're usually taught by pastors who have figured out some of these things. 
And if yeah. we are open, we can learn, but it always has to be adapted. And that's the key thing. You know, you, you can't, as a pastor of a smaller church, go to a larger church's uh, conference and take it exactly the way that larger church does it because your church isn't that large. So it always right. has to be adapted uh, back to our ministry. Uh, but well, uh, is, we can learn is, uh, if right. we want. Yeah. Is that something that in, do you think that, that that's something that we should be trying to replicate though? Like the, this mega church model, they obviously have done some things to see significant growth in their local body um, from a, a church size perspective, but that even becomes something that is almost is next to impossible to replicate. And and so if this disciple making process is this multiplicative reproducing model that Christ outlines, should we be searching to try to replicate and and train on how other Medica churches got uh, executed on their growth, or or do do you think that maybe that's not the best model to be pursuing in the first place? Oh my goodness, uh, we, we need a, a whole another podcast. To get into this. <laughs> Uh, let me let me address this uh, quickly. Uh, so I uh, I don't think that a, a pastor of a small church should go to a mega church's conference and try and replicate uh, to use that word. Right. Uh, what I do think is you that a a smaller church can learn from the bigger church. Uh, for instance. Uh, um, smaller churches, when they try and recruit people in the ministry to fulfill the priesthood of all believers, uh, you don't know, get people involved. Small churches typically rely on the individual ministry leaders to recruit for their own program. So the children's director uh, will try and uh, recruit people to work in the children's program. Uh, right. The men's director will recruit people to work in the men's program. Uh, and then added to that, they give a y'all come from the pulpit. You know, we need, mm -hmm. we need help. We need help. Uh, <laughs> Big announcement on Sunday. Right. And, and frankly, that isn't working anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you rely on the ministry leader to recruit, they keep recruiting from their small network of friends. Uh, right. Which uh, burns them out I, too. Over time, you run out of people to recruit. So mm -hmm. if you go to a large church conference, what you'll often find is that they have a system for recruiting people. Uh, they usually bring people into some sort of a class where they train them about uh, their gifts and their abilities and their passions and, and talk about the biblical um reason for this that uh, everybody's gifted and everybody should be serving um and then what they do is they interview those people one by one and try and find them a ministry in the church so uh, a pastor of a smaller church can go to that larger church conference and learn from that now they don't they shouldn't come back to their smaller church and try and do the exact model because that won't fit. Uh, mm -hmm. But what they can do is say, hey, maybe we should have a class 
uh, or a small group. Uh, and we recruit people into that class and we train them for maybe six or eight weeks on uh, about their gifts and their talents and their passions. And then we'll sit down and we'll interview each of them individually and try and place them individually. Uh, mm. So I, I think we can learn from the larger church. We don't, we don't have to replicate the larger church. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, we need to learn uh, from them. They've learned something that maybe we can adapt. And again, I want to stress that we have to adapt it. <laughs> you just, mm. we just cannot take it wholesale and, right. and bring it back. Uh, now, do we need models? I think we do need models uh, of healthy churches. And um, perhaps one of those models is the mega church in some instances. Uh, but there's other models. Uh, you know, there's churches out there today that are preferring to, to go by the term missional church. And, and there's some good models of missional churches. Uh, but many pastors, they need to, to see a model of something being done. They, you know, you mentioned mm. the idea of multiplication through disciple making and things like that. Okay. A lot of pastors believe that, but they've, they've never seen it done and right. consequently they don't know how to do it. So what they need to do is to find a church that is modeling an effective disciple making multiplication and mm -hmm. go look at that model. And uh, there are churches that are doing that. Um, um, I have a friend, for instance, in Indiana, um, he's found the church in England called St. Thomas. They call it St. Tom's. And every May, he takes uh, about 20-some pastors over to St. Tom's in England. And they actually live in the homes of the people. And for about a week, they, they experience the disciple-making process that that church has put into place. I mean, they're mm -hmm. out there. If pastors want to learn, uh, they're out there. But honestly, a lot of pastors need a model. Uh, right. They need to see it done. Then they can go back and do it. Uh, mm -hmm. But a lot of pastors can't create it on their own. Yeah. Interesting. Um, for solo pastors listening today, let's let's bring this down to a tangible level. What are What is one action step that they can take to faithfully lead in their current season of ministry? I would say, let me, let me approach this in two different directions. One, um, lead your, start leading yourself. Um, one of the things you can do very practically is to take a, 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 a normal week of your life and keep a record of where you put your time and, uh, you know, how much time do you eat? How much time do you pray? How much time do you counsel? How much time do you put in the sermon preparation? You know, how much time are you in meetings at church? Uh, just on a calendar, just put down how much time, uh, you know, in your week that you give to different activities. At the end of the week, sit down and, and uh, uh, categorize them. And, and take a look at where your time's going. Uh, and then think 
very honestly, how could you begin to change that uh, so that it allows you to put more emphasis time-wise into the things that are more uh, along your giftedness and which would be more helpful to the church? And how could you maybe remove some things out of your calendar that are not as uh, helpful to you or to the church ministry? Um, hmm. I suggest in the book that once you do that, you sit down with your leaders, your deacons or elders, your board, and you say to them, what do you think I should be doing with my week? And let the board members kind of share what they think you ought to be doing with your week. And then hmm. actually hand out your piece of paper and say, well, this is what I did last week. <laughs> and hmm. let them see exactly what you did. Uh, I think that's a good way to start leading yourself and to, you know, take a hard look at where your time is going and, and everything. Um, and then really think seriously of how it could be changed and talk to your leaders about it. Uh, Cause a lot of times leaders don't know uh, all the uh, different things that you're doing and, and where your time and energy is going. And it's a good conversation sometimes on the other mm -hmm. side of the church per se uh, I think it's good to sit down and take a look at the last decade of the church. What has been the worship attendance every year for the last decade? What is How many baptisms have we had, adult baptisms have we had every, every year for the last 10 years? Uh, uh, how many volunteers have been serving in ministry each year for the last 10 years? Uh, uh, you know, what does the budget look like? over the last 10 years and seriously take a look at that. Put it on a, a graph paper. If a church has been declining for 10 years, you're in real trouble. Uh, it's very difficult to turn a church around when there's been 10 years of straight decline um, or even 10 years of straight plateau. So what is happening in your church? Um, uh, get your elders, your deacons, your leaders to, to look at that, have a serious discussion. What, where is our church heading? Uh, wherever a church is heading in the last 10 years is, is predictable. It's going to keep going in the same direction unless somebody does something about it. Um, so if your church has been declining for 10 straight years, it's very likely it's going to keep declining for another 10 years unless you do something. Um, or if it's been on a plateau for 10 years, it's probably going to stay on a plateau for 10 years unless you and the leaders of the church do something about it. So mm. I, I would say it, it's, it's really good to take a hard look, you know, at, uh, at what's been happening in the church over the last decade and project that out another 10 years. Is that where you want to be? Uh, if not, what can we do uh, to gradually begin to make a change? Um, yeah. And solo pastor church, you have to involve all the people in that. Usually the leaders, the, uh, the key ministry leaders, uh, they have to be involved in that discussion. Uh, hmm. But I think you have to help the people see the reality of the situation. Uh, someone once said the first job of a leader is to help the people see reality. 
Um, and that's what I would suggest to help them see reality, get into that discussion. So I would approach it on two sides. One, my personal side of time management and uh, discussion. And on the other one, the personal side of the church, what's really happening here? You know, let's, let's get our heads out of the sand, take an honest look at what's going on and then have a, a good discussion of where we need to go. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Gary, I really appreciate you um, sharing your insights and expertise in this area. Um, I've enjoyed our conversation and uh, I want to know if where if people want to learn more about The Solo Pastor and your new book, where can our audience go to connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing or follow along and uh, maybe pick up a, a copy of The Solo Pastor? If they want to connect with me, they can uh, go to my website, churchgrowthnetwork.com, churchgrowthnetwork.com. And I, I have a blog on there, but uh, some resources that are there, some free resources and um, a list of all the books and things that I've uh, written there. Uh, to get a copy of the, the new book, uh, The Solo Pastor, uh, that's available right now for pre-order on uh, from Baker Books and also from Amazon, uh, so they can get it there. It'll be released, I believe, January thirtieth or thirty-first. Uh, but they, if they, uh, if they go to uh, Baker uh, Book Publishing, uh, they can get a forty percent discount if they order it now uh, pre-publication. Uh, so oh, I cool. encourage you to do that uh, yeah, because there that, you go. that's a saves a significant amount of money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Gary, thanks so much for being on the show, sharing your passion for this area. Can I pray for you right now as we wrap up? I would appreciate it, Zach. Thank you. Yeah, Father, we just lift up Gary and um, his new book release, The Solo Pastor. Thank you for his heart and his motivation to help pastors out there who might be um, struggling to lead their churches well, especially in situations where they're doing it on their own. Lord, I pray that you would um, use this resource as a guide and a, um, an encouragement to pastors. And uh, thank you so much for Gary and his willingness to come on the show and um, share his passion and, um, and uh, expertise in this area, share his experience. Uh, I pray that you would bless him, that you would bless this book release and uh, that it would see a, a wide audience um, take advantage of uh, his insights and his expertise, Lord. Uh, thank you that we get to be part of what you're doing and that you've invited us into this redemptive work, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for having Gary, me on. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.